Hello, heroes. Welcome to Modifier. I'm your host, Megan Dornbrock. Hey, heroes. Before we jump in, I just wanted to say thank you to everyone that I got to see at Dexcon. It was a truly fantastic weekend. It was thrilling to get to meet some fans like Chris and Patrick and to finally meet in person folks that I've shared the mic with, like Jeff and Rohit. It was a blur of old friends and new friends and great games and hopefully more cool content that I can share with all of you. If you can get to a double exposure convention, do it, and hopefully I'll see you there. Now then, Apocalypse World is a game that gets hacked a lot, and I've had the pleasure of talking to a few different designers on this show already whose games are powered by the Apocalypse in some way, shape, or form. This week, however, I'm not looking at a specific game, but at hacking Apocalypse World in a more general sense. Andrew Medeiros has designed a number of Apocalypse World games, and he was kind enough to chat with me about what it's like to keep tinkering with this beloved system. Let's get to the show. Today I've got with me Andrew Medeiros, and I hope I said that right. I did not check the last name. (laughs) Spot on. Cool. Uh, Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and some of the games that you've made? Maybe not all of them. Sure. Well, uh, as you said, I'm Andrew. Um, I've been working in uh, tabletop role-playing game publishing for a little while now. started off with uh, Magpie Games, making Urban Shadows, which is a really fun project that's still ongoing. We still have a few things that we're finishing up with that, and uh, I've been gaming for a long time, since uh, about 15 or 16 years now. Really, really love it, nice. clearly. I, mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't be making games if I didn't, I think. And uh, I've also recently kickstarted a, a live-action role-playing game called The Forgotten, which is about uh, a group of people trying to survive during a war that's happening around them in their, their hometown, um, which is not a tabletop game, but it's. I also really like live-action games, especially when they're scenario-based like that, quick little one-shot games. Yeah, you calling it like a quick little one shot, I I think um, kind of underestimates the weight of the forgotten. I was at Dreamation and I ran into several people who had played over the weekend and just the emotional reactions they were still having to that game. It can get pretty intense. Uh, You're right. A little one shot (laughs) might not be the right word. I guess small contained uh, sort of one one shot scenarios. Yeah, just something about that is just feels too light for what, what you're getting into with the forgotten. But Well said. <laughs> it does tackle some pretty yeah. hard things. Um, it's, I hope it does well. You know, I want people yeah. to sort of come away from the experience feeling rewarded and having uh, gained something from it. Yeah, I, I definitely could see that. Obviously, I, I didn't get a, I didn't play it. I um, only recently just started trying LARPs, but mm-hmm. it's it's definitely on my list. And that Kickstarter went well, right? Yeah, it went really well. Um, awesome. I'm really happy with it. It was just a small Kickstarter I was doing myself uh, for the first time. Um, without someone backing, and, and I was really happy how things went. I was really, really happy. Awesome. So people who didn't kickstart, they'll be able to get that soon? Yeah, yep. we should yep. have it done in about uh, four to six weeks from now. Oh, wow. Yeah, we're just in the final stages of getting the cards laid out, getting some proofs ordered, and then we'll go from there. Awesome. So depending on uh, when this episode airs, we'll have links to either the in-progress or maybe even released information on it. That would be exciting. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. I'm looking forward to it. Thank you. Me too. (laughs) Cool. But we're actually going to talk more about the Powered by the Apocalypse games that you've worked on, which are quite a few. One of our (laughs) recent episodes. Yeah. (laughs) Understatements of uh, all all across the board here today. Um, (laughs) We talked to Anna or I talked to Anna Kreider a couple episodes ago about the watch and you're the other half of that. 
Yes, I am. Uh, I've really enjoyed that, actually, so far. It's been really great to work on with Hannah. Awesome. I want to hear the other side of, of this story. <laughs> <laughs> so my side is the boring, like, behind-the-scenes side. Anna, yeah. Anna's the, the sort of more glamorous side of things. Um, <laughs> she brings a lot of the creativity and theme and uh, sort of importance of the game, and I just sort of help with the, the mechanical side of things. But it, both are equally important, but I, I sort of yeah. treat her as a sort of... Like I said, more important and glamorous, but uh, <laughs> uh, the watch has been really fun. Uh, just to recap for, for your listeners, it's a game about not guys, for one thing, sort of <laughs> fighting this evil shadow that's conquering their, their homelands, and it's sort of a, a sort of quasi-12th century European kind of society broken down into different clans, and these clans have had to try and put their differences aside to fight together against this invading force that, that seems to drive men mad when it comes in contact with them. So this sort of new army has been found, made up of women and, 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 and uh, trans women and non-binary and gender-fluid people who aren't affected by the shadow the same way. Yeah. That's, uh, you mentioned that Anna brings a lot of the theme to it. How, I guess, how did the watch come about? Were you working on something and she sort of pointed it in that direction? Or is this something you guys came to together? How'd that happen? It was a combination. I had been, I can't remember the name of the documentary I was watching, but it just sort of was highlighting how important games like Night Witches were for mm -hmm. featuring stories about women. And I thought to myself, I really want to work on something like that, that, that actually sort of makes a difference and, and matters uh, more than just being a fun game. And I, I had this idea, oh, I really like, I love sort of quasi-fantastical um, settings like like what we have in The Watch. And I thought, well, it would be really cool if there was this force of women who, who had to come together to fight. And uh, and the men couldn't because of some something stopping them. So I kind of brainstormed a bit and threw the idea at Anna. And she's like, well, what if this like force you know drives men mad and, and it sort of reflects the, the sort of toxic aspects of, of masculinity in our society? in itself, and that's why I can feed off of the men and, and sort of uh, take control of them. And so that's how we, we kind of came together. Um, so she brings the powerful themes of, of feminism and, and sort of uh, gender roles that I, I feel woefully inadequate to represent. And uh, wow. I, I do my best, but uh, yeah. <laughs> we all need help, and, and Anna brings a lot of great uh, help to the table. And uh, so I started working on some, some basic moves and some new mechanics and some playbooks, and together we flushed those out, and it's gone really well so far. A lot of good reception from playtesting. Yeah, I hadn't played when I was talking to Anna. I um I was scheduled to play later that week actually. So since then I have played and the the shadow that we came up with, you know, it it, it has a couple of options to choose from, but each one as we went through each option, we were like increasingly just skeeving ourselves out with this shadow we were creating. Yeah. So <laughs> it's A plus, well done. <laughs> Thanks. I mean, we just that that sort of exercise was really Anna's sort of brainchild, uh, this mm. sort of creation of this this terrible force that reflects the worst parts of, of, of patriarchy. Uh, so so well done. Uh, I did have a chance to listen to your, your play that was recorded. I really appreciated having that. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I, I want to say I loved how you handled uh, your clan's atrocities and what your people did. And oh, boy. I don't know yeah. if we want to tell your listeners or just kind of leave it at that, but... <laughs> 
Um, yeah, let's let's leave it mysterious. Oh, oh man, yeah, yes. I I had kind of I've forgotten a little bit. I think um yeah, did did Shane send that to you directly or um, yeah, he did. I don't yeah. Re- yeah. Okay, so I don't know. For the listeners, uh, the play group that I I play in sometimes face to face here, we do record our play sessions, and it's usually to send it to designers. But I think the idea is also eventually to have it available for um public consumption. So if if that's out, um, I can actually probably just grab it from Shane and put it in the show notes because it was and it was a good game. It was really good. I really enjoyed listening to you. your playing. And also it was really valuable because I got to see where things weren't uh, obvious to players. So I was able to go in and make mm. some adjustments. So we, we came up with a whole instruction guide for, for how to play the game and how to start things up because of that. So, yeah. so thank you for your time and, and, <laughs> and editing and, and recording that. Yeah. Oh, that, that, that part was all Shane. So true story. Any, anytime. <laughs> and anytime he'll do the work. It's great. Oh, <laughs> Cool. So Night Witches was a big influence. Was there any other anything else in particular that was a significant influence on the watch? I think Anna and I talked about Night Witches a little bit. Yeah, we did. Uh, or you did, sorry. Yeah. Um, Night Witches is definitely the sort of, there. Uh, primary inspiration. I definitely, when when I create playbooks, I usually have a folder open to all my all the different hacks out there, including mm-hmm. some of my own. Uh, I'll usually go and kind of go through and be like, oh, that's a really good idea for a move. Uh, how could we reinterpret that for this setting? And make it interesting and original. And so a lot of bits and pieces are inspired by so many different sources. I couldn't cite them all, but they they all have a yeah. an inspiration outside of us. So do you know, what was the first Powered by the Apocalypse game that you played? It was Apocalypse World, actually. Was it? Was it? Okay. It was. I, cool. I, had, I had bought the book based on a, a recommendation I heard in a podcast. I couldn't tell you which mm-hmm. one. And uh, it sounded really cool. So I bought the book, had it shipped to me by Baker... And I was reading it, and I'm like, I have no idea how to play this game. It, it doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just kind of weird and different, right? But there were cool things about it, like, oh, this is neat. When, when your history with someone rolls over, you get experience. So this is telling you to interact with people and get to know them. Just like little nuggets like that were, really stood out to me, and I was really impressed by it. But I didn't know how to play it. It didn't make sense <laughs> to me. Uh, so finally at a convention, I met someone who ran it and invited us over for a game. And I got to play it, and there's just this, this light switch going off in my head. It's like, oh, that's what moves are. That's how this all kind of flows, and and that's what this means. And it just oh, it was such a powerful, yeah. cool experience. Yeah, I, I definitely have that about a lot of games, is I can sit there and I can read how it works, but it never really clicks until I'm playing. I can see that being, like, Apocalypse World is so different than yes. traditional role-playing games, too. Like, I was one of the people in my group who would buy new games and read them and never never play them, but look for that game. <laughs> I knew there was something out there that was for me. I just hadn't found it yet. I used to call it the quest for my holy grail. Oh. And then I found it in Apocalypse World. Clearly. Yeah. <laughs> and I remember I played it on a Sunday, and then, like, mm-hmm. two days later... I was trying to message friends who were local. I'm like, let's play this game together. And they're like, what is it? I'm like, just, just come over, let's play. And then we <laughs> played it, and we all loved it. It was so much fun. And the next week, we were playing our regular game, and we were all looking at each other, the people who were there, and uh-huh. just kind of like making eyes. And afterwards, we realized we were all thinking the same thing. We want to play this other game, this Apocalypse World game that we just tried. We don't want to play Dungeons and Dragons anymore. <laughs> <laughs> We've been doing it ever since. So. Oh, that's so good. Mm-hmm. Did you kind of know immediately that you had to play in the sandbox? Or, or what, what did it take to get you to start making Powered by the Apocalypse games? Uh, it took kind of a kick in the butt from somebody I met at Gen Con my first year. And it wasn't even about Apocalypse World hacks. It was, um, I think we were playing Amber, some Dice's game. Mm-hmm. I thought to myself, this is kind of neat. I could totally do this. And my friend of mine, who I had just met at the convention, said, 
Well, it's not that hard. I mean, look at the things I did. And he demonstrated how he had taken this Amber game and hacked it. And I was like, that's really pretty easy. He said, yeah, you just need some time and then an idea, and you go for it. So I actually thought I'd make my own game right from scratch. I thought, oh, of course I can do this. Yeah. And then I, I sat down and I wrote a game, and it was rubbish, just terrible. <laughs> uh, I still have it somewhere, but no one will ever see it. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Maybe posthumously they'll release it. Um, and so I just kind of left it to the side. I thought, okay, I made a game that's semi-functional. That's pretty cool. And then I discovered Apocalypse World and, uh, and thought, I really want to play Star Wars with this mechanic. Mm. You know, I, didn't, I didn't like the Star Wars games that are out there right now, but I love playing in that setting. Uh, it's just so much fun for me. And so I thought, well, maybe I could take Apocalypse World and I can kind of modify it a bit to do Star Wars, right? It took some, took some doing, but I basically just did a big reskin of Apocalypse World. So I took the Battle Babe and made them what's called the Operative. I took the operative, operative, uh, Operator and made them the Scoundrels, kind of Han Solo-esque. <laughs> There's already yeah. kind of some obvious parallels in there. Yeah. And it was worked out perfectly. Again, same group I ran it for spontaneously. We loved it. We turned it into a campaign instead of a one-shot. And it's one of the best campaigns we've played to date. Oh, nice. Yeah. And it's sort of spun out of control from there because I realized it wasn't that hard. And I really loved the mechanics of Power by the Apocalypse. So I just started making more hacks from there. And then eventually I worked on Urban Shadows. I started making that because I wanted to do the Dresden Files mm-hmm. in Power by the Apocalypse. And Mark Diaz Truman approached me. He's like, this is a really cool game. Have you thought of releasing it as a full game? And I said, no, that's, that's not who I am. <laughs> <laughs> that's what you are. You're the big game designer. And he's like, I like this a lot. Let's do it. And I, I got really excited and giddy and uh, <laughs> signed up. And uh, here we are, you know, two, three years later, Urban Shadows is a full book and it's a real thing. And my, yeah. one of my life goals has been fulfilled. That's so cool. Yeah, it was pretty exciting. Um, so mechanically, I, I know you mentioned there's there's a couple of things like you, you love power, Apocalypse World and, and yeah. making those hacks for a reason. But are there specific things mechanically that you're really drawn to? There's so many things. Mm-hmm. Uh, the two, two dice is nice, right? You just got a nice simple dice mechanic. Mm-hmm. Uh, everyone rolls, knows how to roll 2d6, right? It's, it's, it's in so many board games. We grew up with that sort of mechanic. Yeah. So it's very familiar. People who are new to the hobby have a really easy time of picking it up and rolling. Uh, so it's very intuitive, which I like. So simple dice mechanic is just the core foundation of it. And then you add a stat, like, easy. Mm-hmm. Uh, the structure of moves is definitely the, the thing that I love the most. Um, how, you know, when you want to do something, you just do it, and you, you aim for that move, and you can do it. Right? Nine times out of ten, you're going to pull it off without someone kind of questioning if you're actually doing it or not. So it's really player-controlled. So I, I get to be a bit of a director when I'm playing. I get to decide... I really want to do this thing. I really want to read this person's motives and, and, and their intentions. And and so I'm going to shoot for that. I'm going to describe myself kind of giving them a, a raised eyebrow and maybe studying their body language. And I'll let the MC know, hey, I really want to read a person. Is that Have I justified it? Have I done this this part of the story? And they come back to me and say yes. And then I roll dice and I get what I want. And the new things happen. And uh, I love it. I love having that control as a player uh, without having too much control because I also want to be surprised as a player and not know what's around the corner. Right. And I, I know we mentioned a little bit earlier the um, having it built in to, to make you interact with other players and other characters. I think that's something that gets brought up with uh, Power by the Apocalypse a lot, too. Yeah, I think that that's not necessarily like built in, but I think it's part of the sort of heritage of the Apocalypse World games. Yeah. Where, where Apocalypse World started us off in this path where it's important to intertwine people mechanically so that they have a reason to interact and, and get rewarded for that. 
mm-hmm. the way that Monsterts does it with strings, and Urban Shadows yeah. does it with factions. Like we, we, we see it where we want you to always look at each other and, and create this interwoven story. It doesn't have to be like a party of adventurers by any means, but it can still people who intersect. Yeah, I, I think even even when you're telling these separate stories, characters feel more connected and intertwined than in like a traditional D&D kind of adventure or party even. So it's building it in or having you build into the story how you're connected and, and what those consequences are. Yeah, there's something to be said about actually having some distance from each other to create meaningful relationships in the game. Mm-hmm. Like in real life, you know, your best of friends, you don't see them every day. But when you intertwine, that's when things get really powerful and, and good. So it's like these stories about people and their relationships that are very uh, paced really well. I think brings out a lot in the uh, yeah. from that mechanic. And I just like the pacing of Apocalypse World in terms of advancement and, and campaign length. Mm-hmm. You know, generally speaking, these games tend to last you know six to twelve sessions, and that's perfect for me. It really resonates with the kinds of stories I want to tell. Normally, you can pull off some really good character arcs, one or two powerful arcs, and then you get to retire the character and play something new. And, I love it. It's perfect for for what I want out of gaming. Yeah, no, I agree, and I I, I think a lot of people agree with you too. Seeing as how <laughs> just on the few episodes of the show that we've had, how many of them are based on Apocalypse World, it's it's a very attractive system. Mm-hmm. It does work for everybody, obviously. That's mm-hmm. and that's fine. And people yeah. sometimes approach us about Urban Shadow saying that it was too quick for advancement, and uh, you know they wanted to play for three years with the same story, and our mm-hmm. game just didn't accommodate that. Uh, not with a significant overhaul. Yeah. Have you tried doing hacks and mods in other systems, or has it just been Apocalypse World? Not any true mods. Uh, I know okay. back in the day when we were doing a lot of D20, sort of D&D and other variants, uh, me and my friends would do a lot of uh, like small hacking, where we'd, we'd want a new version of a play... Uh, I called it a playbook, a character sh- mm-hmm. sheet. So we took the Ranger, and we totally revamped it to make it more into what we wanted. So it was just some small kind of tinkering yeah. than, than real hacking. But ordinarily, we would take a game, find things we don't like, and we would try and fix it. Just like anybody mm-hmm. house rules, but we would actually you know, mm-hmm. have proper printouts, and we'd do up character sheets and, and make it look all fancy uh, <laughs> nice. and, and official-like. And it worked out really well, for us at least. It gave us what Good. we wanted. Hey, that, hey that's, that's what matters. Mm-hmm. Is, if you're getting where you, you want to go as a, as a player, then that's perfect. When I talked to Anna, we talked a little bit about kind of coming to terms with her identity as a game designer, even though, like, or not even though, but when the games that she puts out are mods of existing systems and hacks of existing systems. Is that something that you dealt with at all? Uh, Socially, yes. Uh, If someone were to approach me and and give me credit as a game designer, I'd probably try and wave that off and and come up with (laughs) sort of... uh, excuses for why I'm more just like a, uh, I'm not real game designer, I just on some hacks, like, you know, yeah. these people did most of the work and I just did this thing. Part of my Canadian upbringing is, is, is not accepting <laughs> praise well. Yeah. Um, it's not a, not a great trait. That's something I'm working on being better at, but uh, it's really easy to just sort of pass uh, responsibility or credit to someone else. Kind of mm-hmm. like celebrate them instead. I, I struggled with it for a while, but now I'm pretty soundly in a place where I can, uh, comfortably say, yeah, I'm a game designer, but that doesn't make me any better or worse. It just yeah. means this is something I like doing, and I, I have a talent for it, and I have the time to do it. I'm lucky enough to have all those things to be true. And uh, at this point, it's about trying to do something with it. Um, mm-hmm. I can I can make games and make money, which is which is great. I, I do that, but I want to do more than just that, which is like part of the reasons I'm doing the watch and 
Uh, my Patreon has a sort of pay it forward model, and and I want to include as as many as much of a diverse crew in my projects going forward as I can. So I want to do something more meaningful with my game design than just release games. If that makes any sense. No, it does. And that's wonderful. I think I, I've seen Anna campaigning more or less, I guess, uh, on Twitter looking for um, art submissions, right? Isn't that something you guys are... That's with Ryan Macklin and her project with Honest Oh, okay. Mm, whoops. That's okay. Oh, she's doing good work with their, their two, right? So Similar idea then. I know they were looking specifically for, for diverse creators, which is really good to see that you know more people in the industry are trending that way. It's a wonderful change to see. Uh, obviously, we need more and it Maybe it'll happen in small baby steps. Maybe it yeah. will take more leaps. But uh, things have gotten better. You know, they're not what we want it to be by any means. But we can all do our part. And I, I try and do a little bit. Yeah. In terms of your projects and your your pay it forward model on the Patreon, is there anything specifically you can you can talk about that you're working on or in that vein? Uh, in regards to the the Patreon or pay it forward or both? Or? Uh, both. Yeah. Moving towards more diverse creators in the in the industry. What you're what you're working on, what you're doing. Most of what I'm doing with my Patreon is releasing Powered by the Apocalypse hacks, just kind of mini games mm -hmm. where mm -hmm. uh, you definitely need to come to the table knowing Apocalypse World or some variant of it. Okay. Uh, if, you, if you've ever played Dungeon World or Monster Hearts or Apocalypse mm -hmm. World, you probably it won't make a lot of sense to you because it's just playbooks and moves. Uh, I'm looking to expand that as we go, but for now, it's mostly for that crowd. And okay. uh, it, it's right now, it's mostly just making games that I'm inspired to make right now. And I'd like to do more diverse focus there. Uh, one of my games is going to be about a team of, of all women thieves in a sort of medieval fantasy town who have uh, decided to become thieves because there's a new law that passed that says that women can't be executed for crimes. Like, it's just this ridiculous sexist law. And so they've decided to band together and be like, well, if we can't be executed and we can't serve long terms in prison, we can do whatever we want. So it's kind of their... Stick, stick it to the man kind of thing, right? So, <laughs> which which will hopefully be fun. It, I think there'll be a lot of uh, there'll be some inspiration there from Blades in the Dark and and some of my other games I've been working on. But uh, nice. so hopefully I can bring a few projects in like that. That again, let me tell or let people tell stories that aren't just about white guys. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Yeah, and. With the pay it forward model, I have it's just a simple fifteen percent of whatever I make on Patreon. I'm going to throw at uh, other creators on Patreon who who are women or or non-binary creators or or a member of a team that that falls within that. Excellent. Yeah, it's just by a little. I don't know. I felt I, I feel a lot of guilt collecting money from people for my games, and so this is a way oh. of of both assuaging that and also sort of promoting a new idea where we can we can help each other in small ways to start by sharing and promoting people who usually get overlooked because of of bias. Oh, that's wonderful. Do you promote anywhere which Patreons you're supporting? I will be. Uh, mm -hmm. Okay. It's, I've only released one project so far. Sure. Uh, okay. So once once I get underway, I'll I'll make up a list. Cool. Uh, there's no like, I'm already doing what I can to support as many female non-binary creators as I can. So it won't be hard to add a few more. <laughs> and and it's just a matter of picking the ones that would be appropriate like rpg designers mm -hmm. typically is what i want to focus on yeah but there are a lot of great designers on patreon doing things like videos and comic books oh yeah i also love to support if i can <laughs> and books oh books is such a great way yeah patreon's great for doing novels oh yeah. yeah you can release a chapter at a time and charge a dollar a chapter it's it, 
It's really great. Oh, that's really smart. I hadn't come across that before. I, I follow a lot of people who do comics and visual arts and stuff, and they'll they'll put out you know pages of their comic. But it, it hadn't clicked to me that for novels and stuff, that's wonderful. Yeah, it's a really great resource, uh, great setup for it. And of course, we've got podcasts, yeah. <laughs> which are also really good for a Patreon model. Yes, we do. <laughs> yeah. So you're putting out Apocalypse World Hacks, mm-hmm. and I, I know I saw on G+, that you've done, what, three in the last month? Or, or you've been working on three different Apocalypse games in the last month or so? So how many of these do you think you have? Oh, gosh. Do, do you want me to count them all? <laughs> <laughs> is that possible? It is. Yeah, it is. Oh, uh, gosh. <laughs> I've probably got about two dozen that are playable. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Um, some of them are, by playable, I mean, I've got basic moves and a couple of playbooks written. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that may not be a fair sort of. That's okay. Uh, but at least a good 14 that I could print out and play with you right now. Oh, wow. Yeah. So what what kind of uh, themes do they cover? What? Everything. Every- yeah. <laughs> whatever, All right. whatever movie I watched that week that I thought was really cool. <laughs> cool. Uh, I know I saw there's a Western one. Yes. That's what would be my uh, upcoming Patreon releases. Ooh. Uh, it's a Wild West. So just straight up. You know, Deadwood, Hell on Wheels, kind of classic Western game. Nice. Uh, but it uses a, a whole different mechanic. Uh, we threw dice at the window, and we used playing cards and poker chips for it. But it's still powered by the apocalypse. That's so good thematically, though. Mm, perfect. Right. Yeah. It's not the first Western game to, to utilize that, but it's the first, I think, to do it in the Powered by the Apocalypse yeah. family. Oh, and that's it's, so good. It's great. Players during playtesting have been reporting that the, the deck of cards is so much more daunting than dice. They just like oh, look at the deck and they're I like, bet. this is a lot scarier than rolling a die. But I'm like, <laughs> no, but it's consistent. You can rely on it. They're like, no, it's still scary. <laughs> yeah. Well, dice are magic yeah. and decks of cards are an unknown. So <laughs> it's, it's true. Yeah. Yeah. But it's been great. And I'm toying with the idea of, I don't know if I should say this, but I'm, I'm not sure if I'm going to do it or not, but of, of including rules where the MC can can change the game into a horror without letting players know. <gasps> so, like, you're playing a Western, it's great, everything's happening, oh and God. three sessions in, the guy you shot gets back up, and you're like, oh, right? And then all of a sudden, <laughs> you're oh playing a God. horror game. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It sounds fun, but some people don't appreciate being gaslighted, so it may have to come with a big warning <laughs> hmm. on it. Yeah, it's it's hard because you want to make sure that everybody's cool with that surprise, but you want it to still be a surprise. Yeah, I think we could include mm. rules for, for okay, guys, this scene just happened. Are mm. we cool with it? If not, this was just a dream. Oh, but there you go. You gotta do that. This last session was just a dream episode or something. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't know. I think it would be a really fun mechanic to throw in there. That would be really fun. Oh, boy. All right. Aside from possibly horror westerns, mm-hmm. let's see, what what other kinds of themes have we got? Well, I mean, generally, I just I just like making games I want to play, like in, in sandboxes I want to play in. Um, mm-hmm. So, like, recently I did a Battlestar Galactica hack because I'd love to play a game in that setting. Uh, I did yeah. a, a true sort of Dresden Files hack where we took uh, the literal archetypes from that and made playbooks out of them. Uh, one of my most favorite recent hacks was called we call it jedi hearts affectionately it it uses the masks uh mechanics but for playing Mm -hmm. jedi students in luke skywalker's jedi academy oh boy yeah so it's it's like teen angst with lightsabers in the force it's a terrible combination yeah i think we saw that movie so (laughs) (laughs) at least one person in that movie is still playing jedi hearts yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah, that one's really fun. I haven't played Destiny yet, but it's based on masks, so it's pretty pretty foolproof. 
Cool. So when you're watching movies and, and, you know, consuming whatever other media, does it, is it really apparent to you? Like, oh, that's obviously a skin or like, that's a playbook. Like, obviously. I think the moves usually speak to me first. And mm. then the playbooks kind of, once I get into that mode, I'm like, oh, right, I'm hacking now. I'll then see archetypes for sure. But also, also for LARPs too, like LARP scenarios are really fun to come up with while you're watching, especially a movie, which is already <laughs> a self-contained story. Like mm-hmm. the LARPs I enjoy writing. Uh, I was watching 10 Cloverfield Lane the other day, and uh, it's a really intense survival thriller. And I was like, this would make a really powerful LARP. You have to change a few things to make it uh, work. But you know, sometimes it comes out as a LARP instead. Interesting. Yeah. But yeah, every, every genre you can think of, you know, fantasy, sci-fi, urban fantasy, even yeah. historical, like with the Wild West. And I'm working on a sort of French resistance in the World War II era game right now. That's cool. Yeah. Whatever kind of interests me that week in, in, in genre <laughs> fiction. Neat. So you've changed, you know, the way the dice roll mechanics work, you know, in some of these games, mm-hmm. the the way that conflicts happen. Uh, is, is there any part of the Apocalypse World recipe that you just don't mess with? Or is anything fair game? That's a good question. Uh, it's, it's often a struggle between keeping some of the classic ideas and, and being innovative. Because if you're not innovating, you're not really introducing anything new and you're not exciting your fans. Yeah. Or, or enticing people to support you. I mean, I think the the one thing I don't get rid of is stats. I don't. I haven't thought of any way to replace those yet. Mm. Uh, I know that uh, Dreamus Q does away with stats to make the game. That's also MC less or MC full if you prefer. <laughs> uh, and Avery did a great job on that. Uh, it's a great great game. But I look at it I'm like I, I don't know how I would make a game without stats. They're 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 the central mechanic that everything kind of flows into. Mm-hmm. Uh, you could argue the moves are, but the power moves you normally need stats. So. I guess they're the the gasoline in the engine. Right. So I don't know how I, I, I don't know what I would do without those. <laughs> I would be lost. Mm-hmm. So I guess I kind of consider that sacred and okay. untouchable. Uh, and then for I'm, now, yeah, for now. And of course, <laughs> moves are the whole point of it. So you can't really get rid of moves. Okay. It's a good question. The thing I always struggle with every every time I make a new game is is the, first of all, there's what what will I innovate? Like what can I make different? And, mm-hmm. and what's the relationship mechanic? Right? Is it HX? Is it strings? Is it debts? You know, what is it? It's a trust. You could, you know, it's kind of, you got to keep reinventing that wheel in interesting ways. At least I feel I have to. And that's, uh, I've come up with some pretty cool that's ideas fair. that I like, but I'm, I'm kind of like getting to the point where I don't know what else to do with it. Yeah. Do you, do you think that the Apocalypse World second edition is going to change anything about your approach to making hacks or, um, I'm going to just assume you backed that Kickstarter. I did. And I've been yeah. keeping a, a, a close eye on these the sample material they've released and some of the new playbooks, which are all really, really cool. There's some great new ideas in there that I have yet to mine for myself. Um, cool. I think it, it has some really good innovations, uh, but but it's still very true to the game it was before. Like the, all the basic moves are there. And so mm-hmm. We still get to play the same story with the same actions being important, but I feel like Megan and Vincent have cleaned it up, and they've added some new uh, new spins on things that I really like. Uh, I really like the nice. the new battle moves are, are really solid. The hunter prey mechanic is really really cool, and yeah. so I think that the, all they've done is just take. They haven't torn the house down. They've just kind of replaced the roof, you know. And okay. it looks a lot better. It's a lot more stable. Mm-hmm. And I'm excited to see what other people come up with it too. But yeah, I definitely like. There's lots there to mine. I just haven't gone in there with a pickaxe to do it yet. Fair enough. That's all still in progress. So that's also true. Like, mm-hmm. you know, when do you kind of borrow ideas? When it's done or while well, it's in progress. But it does look exciting. I'm really, really happy with how successful the campaign went. I think it, yeah. it did a good job for sort of teaching us how big our community is as, mm, as, as yeah. players of the PBTA systems. Kind of said, hey, this is about how many of us there are who are at least buying games right now. 
Absolutely. It is, that is a big number. It was impressive. <laughs> <laughs> so do you have any favorite Powered by the Apocalypse games that uh, either yours or other people's that you, you find that you come back to just to play or to, to bounce off of? Oh, there's so many good ones. <laughs> um, my own personal yeah, favorite. Yeah, let's talk about them. <laughs> uh, yeah, let's do it. My personal favorite is Star Wars World, which I wrote a while back and I've been innovating ever since. Uh, I nice. love, 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 love Star Wars. It's, it's my favorite setting to play in. So that has a special place in my heart. Uh, I feel bad not picking Urban Shadows as my favorite, but... Just, <laughs> That's okay. You know, Urban Fantasy's never been as high as, as sci-fi fantasy has for me. Yeah. Uh, so that's my personal favorite. Uh, to play, that not designed by me, is uh, it's a tie between Monster Hearts and oh. Sagas of the Icelanders, which Ooh. are both so good. <laughs> yeah, I, I love Monster Hearts. I've, I've gotten to play a couple games now, and it's, it's just always so good. It's very heavy. Um, so mm-hmm. I, I don't play it as often as other games because um, the content is just so heavy and it's uh, it takes a lot out of you emotionally. Yeah. It's rewarding. I have no, no qualms paying that price, but uh, you should just need a break. You just step away, play something a bit more light, and then mm-hmm. go back into Monster Hearts. And it's always so good. It doesn't matter who runs it. It just kind of always creates a good feel. Absolutely. And, and Sagas of the Icelanders isn't exactly light either. No, that's my friend calls it the uh, sagas of our lives. It's just a soap opera RPG. Yeah, uh, it's great. It's just it's so weird and cool. <laughs> it does so many different things. Like the gendered moves are so fascinating to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, like it's a game that it it doesn't incentivize you mechanically to play a woman, but the moves are so much cooler when you play a woman. <laughs> and so I love playing female. Uh, playbooks from from sagas they're so cool yeah i picked i picked that one up but i haven't had a chance to actually play it yet but even just reading through you can kind of tell yeah advantages yeah it's got so much spirit uh such a Mm. neat idea um there's some things about it that irk me just a bit you know the the designer means like oh i would have done this a little differently but yeah (laughs) i love the setting i I love historical fiction so much Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, I love playing in a game where there isn't magic. It's kind of a refreshing change of pace. Yeah, there there are an awful lot of magic-focused games, aren't there? Do you find that that little designer voice in your head comes out a lot when you're playing other uh, Powered by the Apocalypse games or oh, other games in general? <laughs> so much. My friends hate it. <laughs> <laughs> but it's uh, it's tough. Like You're like, this is really neat, but what if they had done this? And people are just like, yeah, shut your face. Like We're trying to play the game. <laughs> just play um, the game. But when it's one of my games, then that's... And they they harass me for why this isn't working, and I don't. Oh, like, good. It's like, oh, if only there was this move, and I don't know what to say to that. Yeah. Um, sometimes I'll just write it in and be like, here, it's official. <laughs> yeah, it's hard. I don't ever turn it off. Um, I think anyone who 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 starts designing and, and starts exercising that skill will will find that you just don't turn it off. It's like being a film critic, I'm sure, or a writer or editor. You, know, you just see things that maybe others don't look for. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't ruin the experience ever. Um, you know, I can play a game that I'm like, eh, I don't like this mechanic very much, but I'm having a great time, so I'm not going to let it get in the way of that. Good, that's important. Yeah. yeah. But often it'll, I'll come up with cool ideas because of it. Or be like, yeah, this is a problem with, with my game. I need to fix this. And then I'll ask people, what do you think? Like, what would you do differently? And people always have good ideas. Definitely, you know, yeah. just as many good ideas as I have. So when you put them together, you get some excellent innovations. Do you play test all of your your games with like the same people typically, or um, have they, they kind of gotten to know your style? Yeah, I've got about three groups locally I play with on different oh, wow. different nights throughout the month. They're not usually weekly, but uh, it's the same three groups for the most part. Sometimes someone will, will back out and 
looping someone temporarily. But mm-hmm. and each of those groups has at least experienced one of my playtest campaigns, and, and are usually really good about it. Uh, very encouraging and give good feedback. Really push the boundaries of the game. Um, yeah, I've got one friend. They uh, are really, really good at pushing Power by the Apocalypse in, in the places where it's weak and, and fixing, like sort of highlighting flaws uh, in, a, in a productive way, not, not, not a, in a cruel way. But they have great insights, and uh, it's players like that who, who help me make better games, hands down. Sometimes it's a pill to swallow, but... Uh, <laughs> yeah, can imagine. Nobody likes being edited, <laughs> but it's important. Are you still running the, the campaign playtest for The Watch that Anna was talking about a little bit? We finished it about a week and a half ago. Oh, okay. So I loved, I loved your idea about what Janet did this week. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so tell us, uh, how did they fare? What did Janet do? <laughs> <laughs> well, Janet was out of advances and had nothing left to take uh, except to retire her, her character oh, Janet. and walk away. But she was, you know, had just enough ticks that she could do it. She had, uh, I think, one more uh, jaded mark before she'd retire. So yeah. went into the final mission, and she went in pregnant. She was about a month pregnant. And, uh, yeah, I know, right? Super irresponsible. Um, but it was pretty cool. Um, she was victorious. Uh, she survived to the end. She, her lover passed away, unfortunately, t- due to grievous injuries. Mm-hmm. And uh, as her, her, her lover was passing in her arms, she performed a ritual because she was the spider, kind of mystical yeah. and, and weird and just all around amazing. She performed this ritual uh, with blood. Uh, like It was really weird and awesome to sort of uh, siphon her lover's soul and place it in, in her unborn child oh my God. to ensure that she was reborn. <laughs> well, that's not weird, Janet. <laughs> <laughs> right? And I was like, yes, this works. <laughs> you don't have to roll for that. That's just awesome. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, so the child, you know, we kind of fast-forwarded after the game to, to get a an epilogue or on how things had gone, and her scene was you know, her with this young girl who had been born and named after her, her former lover. Mm. Oh, it's so good. We had a couple of PCs oh, die, but you know that's yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> it's it's war. People die. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> oh boy, I love Janet. <laughs> I love that you love her, not even yeah. knowing her. It's so yeah. cool. I, it's it's so good. I'm so invested <laughs> in in Janet's antics. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think it speaks to like the kind of stories that the watch you know helps you make. That they're they're so cool and they're so weird. Also, like probably more so for the spider, but just you get, you get so invested even just hearing them second and third hand. That's my hope. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, the spider is my personal favorite. It's mm-hmm. it's like my my playbook when I look at them. Like this is mine. It's the one I made, and I'm so proud of of my my kid t- tapping on the head. Yeah, um, it's just so weird and creepy, and it's the medic playbook, so it, it's the yeah. one who who can go around helping people and heal them. But it's the weirdest and the scariest. Yeah, which you don't often see with the sort of healer playbook. So yeah, I, I was happy to turn that trope on its head. Uh, and I, I think that was one of the first playbooks to get picked up during our game too. And it was saying that she's never seen a game that didn't use it. And it's true. We, we fell right into that. Yep. Spider. Maybe yeah. that's because I sell it so well because I love yeah. it. Like <laughs> someone's going to want to play this. Yeah. Um, and people always pick the same moves because they want to play the creepy spider. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the spider we is so well. Yeah. So we, we named the playbooks after different predators and, and whatnot. So. For those listening, <laughs> the spider is, is a healer and mender, but they also have a lot of moves that let them tap into the darkness and the shadow that's invading and use it against it. And so they kind of play this really dangerous game of, of walking 
and towing the line between good and, and corruption. And I love awesome. it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're they're a good character to watch unfold. I uh, I hope we get to go back to to ours some um, in the future. Absolutely. Too. Uh, you were playing the wolf when you played. Um, I was the either the wolf or the bear. I was uh, I was having a hard time deciding at the end. Yeah. Um, but and I like that uh, we ended up with one playbook left over, our um, the lioness, and I think we we all still liked them all so much that we just sort of immediately headcanoned that oh that's our commander, she's the lioness. That's right. Like, I love that. Yeah. I everybody was having a hard time. I think initially deciding just because um it, it felt it felt bad to leave one of them out. That's a really that's a really good idea. I like that. And I think I put it in the rules to suggest people. <laughs> it's important you have NPCs yeah. who are important to you. Yeah. In the watch, because first of all, when you lose someone, it matters more when you care about who they are um, rather than just nameless NPC passing away. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also because the watch is almost guaranteed to have at least some character death throughout the play. Uh, it's not guaranteed, but it's very likely. It's good to have people who are on hand who you can take over as as a player. That way you're not just coming in fresh with, with some unknown and try to recreate these relationships. I feel like Night Witches does a good job of that, too. Like it really encourages you to play new characters because you're probably going to die. Yeah. And, you know, I ran a campaign where they all survived by some miracle. Oh, interesting. It wasn't a very I, long I campaign. I didn't think that was possible. Oh, okay. <laughs> it was about six or seven sessions. Uh, it was six players, Still, which also yeah. I'll never do again. Mm. Yeah, Jason's advice was don't when I asked him <laughs> how to run for six players. But, uh, yeah. It was, that was actually a really fun experiment where I wanted to run a game for all women or non-binary people. And I got a group. I, I invited six people hoping to get three of them, and I got all six. And I, 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 I was refusing to, to say no or back down or, or to cut anybody out. Um, yeah. Because that's, the whole point it was to, to be welcoming, right? To, to make mm-hmm. a space where people feel like they're not being talked over or uh, or being treated differently. And so I just went with it. And I ended up bringing in a, a co-MC for one of the sessions. We had seven players show up because someone wanted mm-hmm. to bring a friend. And that worked out pretty well. We played at this oh, wow. giant table with two groups going on either end of the table, and it was really fun to see them go back and forth. It was like a long con happening at conventions. Uh, oh, it, was, cool. it was great. And uh, now I, I hear some of the players are starting up in all-girls Dungeon World campaign. Just, Yay! Yeah, it's so great to see that happening from there. Uh, it was a real. I was really honored that that they trusted me to run that for them, and and I think it, it worked out really well. Oh man, take that, Jason Morningstar! <sighs> right? No, <laughs> his advice is still a good idea. You oh yeah, not no, run for six players. <laughs> absolutely. I'm just stubborn. Oh, yeah, man, I get I get like five people in a game, and I'm I'm like, oh boy, like oh, all right, we'll we'll see. So. I, I don't like running more than four. Mm-hmm. No. But you know, it's it, tough. There are exceptions. Yeah, cool. We did get one listener question, oh, which cool. um, we talked about a little bit, I think. Uh, Wandering Bishop on Twitter, our friend Dominic, wanted to know if there's any choice Powered by the Apocalypse games you've looked at and gone, this is the most intriguing idea I've seen in years. Oh, that's... Maybe, a... maybe not verbatim, but... <laughs> no, but something that sort of caught my attention. Hmm. I think Masks with their... Uh, have you played Masks or read it, Megan? Um, I have read it. I okay. have not gotten to play it well, yet. Just, just for the benefit of others as well. Masks does this really cool thing where the stats are not static. Because you're playing these young heroes, your stats are actually about how you see yourself. So there's things like uh, superior and savior and danger. So they, like how what you think you are, right? So if you're playing a big, strong kind of bruiser type, then you have a really high danger, right? You view yourself mm-hmm. as powerful and dangerous. 
But people have the ability to sort of change how you view yourself with their influence over you. So they can be like, hey, listen, you have to stop being so dangerous, okay? Like, or, or such being such a, a reckless hero. You need to calm down and you need to worry about protecting civilians more. And they can basically impart that influence on you or uh, leverage it against you to make you change your stats. So they might say, I want you to lower your danger and raise your savior, right? This is what it means to be a hero, right? And you have to choose whether to accept that or, or resist the influence. And then there's some rules that happen there if you want to resist. But if you accept their influence, your stats literally change. Right? So you, you, you change who you are to suit others, uh, which is such a teenage experience, right? Yeah. We all, we all just kind of fake it till we know who we are, right? And I love that. It's such a cool idea. And eventually you can grow up to the point where you advance and you can lock stats in place. When you finally mm-hmm. like, decided, no, this is who I am, nobody can change this about me, right? I've accepted this, and, and I, this is who I am, right? So you can be like, no, I'm, I'm dangerous, but that, this is what needs to happen, right? People need to fight to protect what's important to them. So you can lock your danger in it, like, plus three, like, yes, I'll always be dangerous, but that's who I am, and I'm okay with it. And it just represents growing up so well. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's probably my favorite innovation over the past couple of years. <laughs> And I love masks so much. In case that's not uh, obvious. Yeah. Oh man, you're making me want to want to play it more now. Mm-hmm. It's it's on my list somewhere. <laughs> it's really cool. You'll like it. <laughs> but that's a big one. I think I'm trying to think of other examples, but that's the big one for me for sure. Well, are there any other Powered by the Apocalypse games we should talk about? Yours or others, or uh, any any other projects that you're working on? Um, everything right now. Everything's pretty Powered by the Apocalypse, Powered by the Apocalypse focused. With the watch happening, that's been the big focus with Anna and I working on that collaboratively, uh, and then just making a few side games for my my Patreon. That's been because that's the focus of the Patreon. That's been my focus creatively. Mm-hmm. I don't have a lot of desire to try anything else really. Uh, I like where I'm at and what I create. I don't get the desire to really do anything else at this point. That's fair. Yeah, yeah it could change, <laughs> but for now, that's yeah. where I'm at. Cool. I like it. Yeah, I am going to be playing in a game of Knights Black Agents soon. Which oh, okay. I guess is Gumshoe. I've never played it before. Uh, it'd, be, it'd be the first non Power of the Apocalypse game I played in probably a, a year and a half. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, so uh, <laughs> some of my friends are a bit burnt out and uh, yeah. they don't think I can do it. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna <laughs> to prove them wrong. What are all these dice? Yeah. Actually, it only uses one die of all things. Oh, yeah. Cool. So that's familiar. At so least. you're fine. Yeah, it's one six sided die. I can handle that. Oh, yeah. I'll just pretend I'm rolling two of them. Yeah. There you so, go. <laughs> but it, it's it's good to like. Uh, I feel like it's important that I, I at least try some new things from time to time because I don't want to become that guy who who enforces or forces his, his fellow players to play the same mechanical system every time. Some of my groups are cool with that. Some of them aren't. <laughs> That's all right. As far as the watch goes, is that something you guys are planning to kickstart? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Just... Ed and I are both big fans of kickstarting and. and it's a, cool. such a valuable tool as a creator. Yeah, and we're not sure if we'll we'll be kickstarting it personally, or we'll bring someone else in to publish, or what we'll be doing in that regard. But uh, okay. Anna is a, a great writer and uh, a great consultant on on our mechanics, and I'm a pretty good game designer. So together, we, we kind of cover a lot of bases. Yeah, which is nice not to worry about bringing other talent in. You know, eventually we'll have to hire you know professional artists yeah. and layout people. But yeah, yeah. But it's nice that we can get to the point where we're ready to release. Mm-hmm. Have the drafts ready to go before we kickstart, because then we can we can present a more professional game that's further along than most, mm-hmm. and uh, do it with confidence and not have to worry about what comes afterwards as much. Nice. So that's that's something for listeners to look forward to in the future. Yeah, I can't say when. Yeah. I'd love yeah, to, I'd okay. love to say later this year, but it's probably 
realistically going to be 2017. That's all right. It's worth the wait. Yeah. That's that's reality. You know? Yeah. People look at Apocalypse Hacks and they think, this is this looks easy to hack. But there's so much that goes into actually creating a book that is mm-hmm. well beyond that. So, And I can pop out hacks pretty quickly, but it's only because I've done so many. It gets faster every time. <laughs> I borrow templates and, and steal moves from my own creations. So it's more daunting than you might think. Absolutely. Where can folks find you and your games online? That is a great question. <laughs> I'm working on getting a website up in the next month. Or oh, so. good. Hopefully by the end of May I'll have uh, a site with all the resources on there, including uh, all my free games, like like the Powered by the Apocalypse games that have intellectual properties I can't profit off of, okay. uh, which are several, like Star Wars World and, and Battlestar Galactica and, and all those. Um, and then also have links to Patreon and, and my different projects. But uh, for now, um, you can find me on Patreon, just by type my name in. Uh, you can find me on Google+. Plus. I'm on there a lot, and mm-hmm. I post regularly and, and, and engage in many communities there. I have a Twitter account, but I don't really use it. <laughs> it took some finding, let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't like Twitter. That's fair. That's fine. But uh, I'm there. If you add me, I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll probably add you back. <laughs> okay. I, I do still get notifications in my email for it. So, yeah. Uh, but yeah, okay. generally speaking, uh, Google+, Plus is my go-to social media. Especially okay. for gaming. So if you want to connect yeah. with me there, feel free. Send me a post or say hi, whatever you want to do. Yeah. That's the, the ways to find me. Yay. Well, thanks so much. Oh, thank you. Thanks again to Andrew for sharing some of his secrets with me. And yes, he totally does have a website that you can go visit at northfiregames.com. I'll have links to his site and his Patreon in the show notes. The recorded play session we referenced early in the episode isn't out for the public just yet. We're waiting until the game itself is available. However, if you're dying to know what atrocities my bear's tribe visited upon their menfolk, um, hit me up on Twitter. It definitely wasn't a fun party, I'll tell you that. Lastly, just a reminder that myself and the entire OneShot network will be at Gen Con in a few weeks. There's a OneShot panel you can come to, which might be the first time we're all in the same room together and will undoubtedly be a blast. There's hangouts after and lots of fun to be had all con, so if you're coming, I hope you'll say hi. That's it for this week, heroes. You can find Modifier on Twitter at Modifier Podcast or at the headquarters at modifierpodcast.tumblr.com. You can send comments, questions, or contribution suggestions to modifierpodcast at gmail.com. If you like the show, please consider leaving a review on iTunes as that helps more people find us. Modifier is a proud member of the OneShot Podcast Network, an amazing family of RPG podcasts that includes incredible shows like OneShot, Campaign, Backstory, and Talking Tabletop. Modifier's theme music was created by my favorite Bothan, Cat Greenfield, whose myriad talents are on display at catgreenfield.com. Next time on Modifier, we'll be talking to Brian Feister about the Open Legend RPG. See you then.